Well, coming up on the screen any second is a picture of a man who's been in the news this week. I'm going to pull up Gallery View while you're there. Give us a little wave if you've seen or you know who this man is. Looking for it. Don't worry, I won't call on you. You can put your hand up confidently. Okay, one hand, a cup, one or two hands. Maybe you'll know um, as I tell you who he is. You'll, you, I'm sure someone will have read this story this week. This man is Richard Moore, the new director of MI6 announced this week. And there was lots of news about him. And whenever someone of such high position or profile is announced to the British media, there's always some work done, isn't there, to reveal who they are, what they're like, to try and reveal their character, their identity. Here's what the BBC had to say this week about Richard Moore, the new director of MI6. According to his biography online, he is married with two children and his interests include golf, hiking, scuba diving, Turkish carpets, porcelain and visiting historical sites. It's an interesting choice of information, isn't it? To have as your biography as you've just been announced as the director of MI6. Not sure many of us would lead with the information about Turkish carpets or porcelain. Well, maybe a few of you just looking on the screen, actually. But this is what it had to say about him. This is how he was introduced. I wonder how you'd introduce yourself, how you do introduce yourself. Obviously by name, but then what information do you lead with? My guess is you're probably not a lover of Turkish carpets. It is probably more likely that you lead with your job in some contexts. Maybe in other contexts, it's your family. Or in other contexts, maybe it's interests that you have, hobbies or, or things that you pursue. But what is it that makes you choose the information that you lead with as you seek to reveal your identity to the people that you meet? Do you notice how sometimes that changes based on who it is you're meeting? People often go two ways, either to protect or prove their identity. To protect or prove, let's say you've got a high-powered job that you really value, and you happen to find yourself in a room with some people with more high-profile jobs than you. You're tempted to talk about your job more, to speak about it, to talk it up, to impress others, to try and prove your identity to the people that you're around. Or maybe you, you really value your education. And in most contexts, you'd be pretty happy to be referred to as the smart one. But when you find yourself in a room with people with more achievements, more letters after their names, well, you're quick to say, well, life's not all about that. I invest my time in all sorts of other things. Desperate to protect your identity. Maybe you try and prove yourself as a family first kind of person. Whenever there's a slight question on the way you do things, you say, well, that's just the way we do things. It's, it's family comes first. Do you see the swing? Prove and protect. People do it all the time as they seek to show their identity. Maybe it's sport. I'm just taking it easy at the moment, concentrating on other things. Cars, this old thing, 
ah, oh, this is nine months old now. We're about to get a new one. Houses, clothes, I could go on and on. I wonder where it is that you seek to prove or protect your identity. See, this evening we meet a man who's caused to rethink his identity. And in the coming weeks, as we look at encounters that Jesus has with people, we'll be seeing that, that what Jesus says and what Jesus does to challenge them, to cause them to rethink. And this evening, as this man, Simon Peter, encounters Jesus, everything changes. But what's really interesting is the way he views himself changes. So up to this point in Luke's gospel, his account of Jesus, it, Jesus has gathered quite a following and people are desperate to encounter him. We'll see in coming weeks that some are desperate to encounter him and so they'll, they'll go after him, they'll make a beeline for him. And others encounter Jesus because Jesus takes some kind of interest in them. But we see here, Jesus' following is so big that in order to teach the people that are there on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, he got into the boats to address them. Look at verse 1. People were crowding round him and, and listening to the word of God. People are eager to hear what he's got to say. And as Jesus finishes teaching the crowd, our attention is drawn away from the big panoramic view of the beach at the side of Lake Gennesaret to an intimate encounter between Jesus and Simon. Now, Simon, he's a busy fisherman. He's been out all night and now he's washing his nets. Jesus has got into his boat and finishing up teaching the people on the shore, he's got a request. Look down at verse four. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Can you imagine how Simon might have felt? A professional fisherman, it's his trade, it's who he is. He'd have been known as Simon the fisherman, being told what to do by a carpenter turned teacher. Simon's a fisherman, it's, it's who he is, it's what he knows. Why is Jesus trying to rock the boat? But look at Simon's answer. It's amazing. Verse five, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. See, Simon makes it pretty clear. He knows what he's done all night. The fish aren't biting and it, it wouldn't be his logical decision to go out again now. Simon's a fisherman. He knows the boats. He knows the waters. He knows his role. He knows the fish. And a night without fish would have been a bit of a kick in the teeth. But that's just the way work goes sometimes. But yet, here, for some reason, at the same time as knowing all that, Simon listens to Jesus. I will let down the nets, he says. Is he just being polite? Is it because he's intrigued to see what Jesus is all about? Is it because he feels like he needs to respect this man? Well, we're not really sure. But what we do know is that he recognises something of Jesus's authority. Just, do you see what he called him? Teacher. He agrees to go. But the result 
it's immense. Look at verse six and seven. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, both boats so filled that they began to sink. Can you just picture that scene for a minute? The fisherman who'd have spent so much time of his life on the water. He'd have known it inside out. He'd have known the patterns. He'd have known the fish. It would have been so rhythmical to him. It would have been second nature. You can imagine that, that nothing would phase this kind of hardened fisherman. He was so sure that there was no fish in that lake. But here, Jesus reels in the biggest catch he's ever seen. If you've seen one of those nature channels where they use those old school fishing nets and they reel them in and you just see the fish wriggling away in the net. Well, this day the whole net was wriggling, absolutely teeming with fish. So much so, the nets were breaking and they needed help. You can just imagine, can't you, them sat in the boat, looking over to the other boat, their, their partners, and be so excited, so overwhelmed. They didn't know what to say or, or what to do. It probably would have just been a kind of panicked, come, just come, come and look at this. Because in that moment, Jesus proves that he's more than just a carpenter turned teacher. Jesus proves that he's worth listening to. And Jesus shows Simon that not only does he know how these waters, how these fish work, but actually he's going to go on to show Simon that he knows him. He understands him more deeply than he could ever have imagined. And so as Simon encounters Jesus there on the lake, we see three big changes. Here's the first significant change of the encounter. Simon changes his view of himself. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Bit of a bizarre response, isn't it? When Simon encounters Jesus and he sees his power and authority as he pulls fish out of nowhere, he sees what Jesus is all about. He sees it up close and personal. It completely changes his view of himself. He's no longer a confident fisherman that knows all there is to know about fish. He's suddenly aware that when it comes to this man, Jesus, he falls far short. He says he is sinful. See, when you come to see the authority and power of God in human form, what do we see? He gets a worse view of himself. He sees how flawed he is. Whenever someone in the Bible comes up close and personal with God, it's a bit traumatic. It's disconcerting because God is so perfect, so powerful. Maybe you remember that personally as you first came into contact with Jesus. Maybe you remember that as you started exploring the Christian faith. You recognise that the, the God of the universe wants to reach out to you. Suddenly you realise just how unworthy you are. Or maybe that is more recent. Maybe it's even you listening on YouTube tonight, thinking, what am I doing at church? 
if what we said, what we heard earlier, that as we open the pages of the Bible, God is speaking to us, I kind of want to hide. I kind of want to hide what I'm really like, what no one knows about me. Maybe your instinct is to say, go away, God. I'm not good enough. A bit like Simon Peter. Bobby Moore, he's a national hero. You might have noticed the other day, I think it was Thursday, it was the anniversary of his finest hour. He was the captain of the England football team in 1966. The one and only time England have won the World Cup. Here's one of the most famous images in English sport. It's him on the shoulder of his friends holding aloft the Jules Rimet trophy. There he is on the turf at Wembley on the 30th of July, 1966. And I'm sure I've heard about how intense the match was, 120 minutes of gruelling football. But England pulled through on 1-4-2. And so what happened was the most proud moment for Bobby Moore, the captain of the football team. He led his own team up the steps at Wembley to be greeted by the Queen and be given the trophy. But he's spoken many times of how the moment he started walking up the steps, that's when the realisation hit him. That's when he looked down at himself and he looked up at the Queen. He looked up at the Queen in her pristine outfit, her perfect white gloves, and he looked down at himself and he suddenly became so aware that he was caked in mud. You can see there on the picture, his hands have been all over his shorts. There as he's approaching the Queen, he's desperately trying to rub them on the sides. He's desperately trying to cover up. He's so aware that he's covered in mud and he's meeting the Queen. See, when he sees Her Majesty, he becomes so aware of his own state. Here, when Simon sees the majesty of Jesus, he becomes so aware of his own state. And when we come to encounter Jesus for who he really is, we see ourselves more honestly, more realistically than we'd ever care to accept. All that's behind that hardened exterior, that identity that you hide behind, the funny one, the sporty one, the hard-working one, the rich one, the one that always wears nice clothes, the one with perfect kids, gone. No, because we see ourselves more honestly and more realistically. Do you see here, Simon Peter, he no longer tries to be the hardened fisherman who knows all there is to know about catching fish. He can't, because as he sees Jesus, he's so honest because he realises what he's really like. That's the first change. Here's the second change. Encountering Jesus, it brings about ultimate acceptance. See, at the point where Simon Peter is sure that Jesus must get away from him because he's not good enough. Look at verse 10. These words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
it almost doesn't seem like the right answer. It doesn't fit. Because do you notice what Jesus isn't saying? He's not saying, you're quite nice, really, Simon, come with me. He's not saying, actually, I've chosen you because you're better than most. So come on, just come. He's not saying, ah, let's go fishing, take your mind off it. No, he says, don't be afraid. He's saying, Simon, you've got it bang on. You are sinful, but you're coming with me. Live with me, learn from me, be grafted into my team, be part of what I'm all about. Come with me. Tim Keller writes of this moment. He says, you are more wicked than ever dared believe. And yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. You are more wicked than you ever dared believe. And yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. You see, the most amazing news here that Jesus shows us is that when we encounter him, the king of the universe, we'll suddenly feel deeply aware of how unworthy we are to even speak to Jesus, look at him. And yet Jesus looks at us, at the very worst thing about us. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He doesn't say it's not that bad. He says, come follow me. You see, Jesus' response, it means that we no longer need to work to protect our identity, to prove our identity, because Jesus sees exactly what we're like at our very heart. We fall short of his perfect standard. We don't measure up. And yet, he says, come with me. We no longer have to work to prove ourselves because Jesus knows exactly what we're like. And he says, come as you are. Don't try and prove yourself. Don't try and meet my perfect standard. Come with me. Have you ever had that feeling, a crippling feeling of not being good enough? Maybe it's when you know you haven't done enough or maybe you know you've done something wrong. It's a horrible feeling that you just can't shake. Guilt. Shame. It's a bit like when a child opens up their A-level results and they haven't done enough. And it's so, so disappointing. And all their friends are, are around them asking what's happened. And, and all that child wants to do is batten down the hatches and be on their own. They have to tread some kind of line between it's all over, I'm rubbish, and I'm sure everything will sort out. But deep down, there's real insecurity. And they know as they walk home to their parents, their parents deeply care about the results. The child's got that sinking feeling, scared. They're so aware that they're not good enough. They haven't done enough. They don't want to talk about it. And as they open the front door at home, they walk in and there are their parents with that dreaded one word question. Well, and a child avoiding eye contact squeezes out the word, I haven't done enough. And the parents look the child in the eye 
and say, there's nothing you could do to change the way we love you. Maybe that story sounds familiar to you. Maybe you'll have loving parents like that. Maybe that story feels so far from your experience. But that's just a little picture of what Jesus' love is like for his people. See, whether you say you follow Jesus this evening or not, maybe you're tempted to say to God, go away, God, I'm not good enough. Maybe you feel like you're not as good as other Christians you see. Maybe you keep messing up and you feel like you're letting God down. Maybe you feel like you want to hide from God. Maybe you feel like he wouldn't want you after what you've done. Did you hear Jesus' words? Don't be afraid. He's not pretending it's all okay. He's not saying it doesn't matter, but he's saying he deeply loves you. And you, you see, he can do that because his work in dying on the cross, well, he does that because he deals with everything that we've done wrong. So he can look at us, despite all we've done, and say, it's sorted. I've got something new for you. Come with me. That's the second change. Here's the third change. Encountering Jesus changes everything to be about him. Look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. It's a complete change of identity. They left everything. Simon, he's not fundamentally a fisherman anymore. It's not his identity. He's not fundamentally concerned about his next catch of fish. In fact, what's crazy here is we're told they've caught such a large catch of fish that their nets were breaking. And then they've pulled up their boats onto shore and they left everything they had. Fishermen live for the perfect catch just like surfers of the perfect wave. And here, Simon Peter leaves behind the status, he leaves behind the money, because it wasn't his ultimate concern. Following Jesus was. Here's the moment where things begin to change for Simon as he encounters the Lord Jesus. And we see it's a long process. We see that his eyes are open gradually. But until this point in the gospel, Luke's account, he's called Simon. Here he's called Simon Peter, and afterwards he's called Peter. Everything changes. See, if we want to choose to follow Jesus, it's a decision that changes everything. We don't all need to give up our names and change them. We don't all need to give up our jobs. But there will be a fundamental change when we choose to follow Jesus. Why? Well, because encountering Jesus, the almighty king of the universe, who looks at us and sees exactly what we're like as we really are our deepest core, and yet loves us enough to say, come with me, it demands our whole attention. It's not just that it, it should demand our ultimate attention. It's not just that it must demand our ultimate concern but it just will demand our ultimate concern because nowhere else in anywhere we look will we encounter someone who knows 
all about us, knows exactly what we're like, sees us exactly as we are and yet loves us so perfectly that they can say, come with me, like Jesus does. You are more wicked than ever dared believe and yet you're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. So whether this evening as you listen, you're hearing this story for the very first time or you've heard it hundreds of times before, the amazing reality is that as we encounter Jesus, this same acceptance is available for us too. Because when we encounter Jesus in the pages of the Bible and we come to believe the truth about God and his word, we will see ourselves more honestly than we did before. But if we come to trust in Jesus, the man, we'll have the most immense relief because the Lord Jesus, the King of pure majesty, he knows the very worst about us. He accepts us because of what he's done. And when we see what it cost him to welcome us back to be with him, when we see his deep concern that we'd follow him, when we see something of his amazing plan to use us as part of his team, it'll be an absolute joy to leave behind what consumed us, what was most important to us, to follow him. Because knowing Jesus, it brings a stark reality about what we're really like, but it brings a complete acceptance because of what he's done for us. And when we follow him, it gives us an ultimate purpose. Question is, are we choosing to follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, who knows us, he knows what we're like, and yet deeply loves us. Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus' work on the cross. That means we can be accepted. Father, please would you help us to choose to follow him with our lives. Amen.